0: Hello and welcome to the March 4th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. And welcome again to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It is a Sunday evening here in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. And I have to say, it's been a pleasant couple of days in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. And I'm really excited to report that. I've actually even tweeted it the last couple of days for those of you who might follow me on Twitter. uh, I have absolutely been in a stable place no doubt about it and it's kind of exciting because what that means for mr joe is there have been no mixed episodes there have been no rapid cycling incidents uh nothing has happened i've been absolutely completely stable and it feels wonderful i have to say now i know unfortunately that um that luxury, so to speak, is going to end come Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, because I will be dipping down in my Suboxone. I had told everybody that I wasn't sure last podcast, but I could tell you now that I've already pre- prepared and prepped my dose, because my last dose on this current level of Suboxone is either Tuesday or Monday. I believe it's Monday. So I had to cut up a new strip for Tuesday, and I, I did not break it in half. Like I said I was going to do, I I have kind of just, I'm just too scared to do it, guys. If I have to elongate it a little bit, I will. I'm just doing my little trick where I cut that little strip off, just a little strip, a little bit at a time. There is no rushing this. If each time I drop down in this particular manner, if it only causes me three days of depression, which seems to be the typical way that this goes, I'm okay with it. I'd rather have that than start cutting doses in half and three quarters and go on with a, an elongated depressive state I'm just not my body just can't handle it and considering as to how good I've have felt and again not extremely happy not sad by any stretch of the imagination just right smack dab in the middle and it's awesome I feel absolutely great so now I had a pretty uh, eventful week last week at work, and I wanted to share something with everybody, and I don't, I won't, I won't share these kinds of stories very often. Uh, most of the times I will share my stories that have to do with a student, former student, or situation that uh, maybe takes place with a professional, either a co-worker, or if I happen to be in an educational setting, sometimes I will share stories about some of the other professionals that I work with. In this particular case, I have to share this story about a parent because last week on Monday to be exact, which would be almost a week ago tomorrow, exactly a week ago tomorrow, I say uh, almost a week because it's only Sunday, but a week ago tomorrow, I returned on a Monday morning and I had been on vacation for an entire week. And when I returned, one of the first things I do is I will check my voice messages just to see who has called. And surprisingly enough, I had about 15 missed calls at work, which is a lot of missed calls, believe it or not. Uh, It used to be different, it used to be even more. And ever since I've had a, um, a promotion, and I have a, an assistant who happens to be my wife, most of the problems go to her. to be honest with you. So it's kind of easy for me in that sense. I don't have to deal with anything unless it's administratively. And what that means is just a couple of times a year, maybe three, four times a year, particularly when I have to write contracts um, or when I have to write contracts for new services, for old services, things of that nature. I will have to get involved and maybe get a phone call and uh, really get into it, or if a new teacher calls or a new professional calls and they're uh, calling me in for an emergency, something along those lines. So I had 15 mixed, missed calls, and I found that to be odd. So I started to listen to my messages, and the first message was from a man who claimed to be a doctor, and he sounded like a nice guy, and his first message was, You know, I was sent to you, and I need help, and I have a 16-year-old son with autism, and I'm hoping that you could help me. My number's so, 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 blah, blah, blah. Okay, so I wrote the message down, took a little note, and I said, Okay, I'll call this guy back. I'm not really sure what he's looking for. Um, You know, it wasn't specific. So, next message, same doctor. Uh, This is the second time I'm calling. It's Dr. So-and-so. I need to talk to you. My son has... Autism. I was highly, re- you were highly recommended. I want to know if you take insurance. Uh, he went on for a couple more minutes, left his phone number third, fourth, fifth, sixth call. All from the same man. Now, he's becoming increasingly more agitated with each call. I spoke to somebody at the front desk. They guaranteed that you are the one to talk to. I'm not sure why you're not getting back to me. This is unprofessional. Now, um, it's my fault. I forgot to leave my away message. But I, I left it on my email, but I never left it on my voicemail. You know, at some point, after you call somebody a few times, especially when you're dealing in this professional, you know, most of most of us care. I will say that. So most of us care. And if you don't get a call back, there's usually a good reason for it. Uh, this man was quite persistent. So I actually then got two other phone calls from, let's put it this way, in, in my neck of the woods, there is an agency that more or less checks on parents and will indict them or will uh, blame them or will in- interrogate them for child abuse and neglect. And I'm not going to tell you the name of the agency. I would imagine all across the world people have a similar agency that more or less is, you know, a child protection agency, let's call it and two people called from that particular agency for this gentleman, for this doctor. So that really sparked my interest because they were actually calling for him and um, they, they were, you know, they were very kind, but they were like kind of doing his dirty work for him and seeing if there was any way I would call them back. Um, so anyway, I ended up calling all three of them back. And I have to share the story with you. This, this man was, was so persistent and getting in touch with me and one of the reasons why he called was he explained to me that this child agency who is now in court with him and not necessarily pressing charges but interrogating him because of his child he is currently his child now here's his story his child is in a foster care he is no longer in his possession and he has an ex-wife and these are the things he shared with me and his ex-wife is a lawyer and his ex-wife will say that the son is not aggressive but he absolutely is and he has hospital records to show that he's beaten up the wife as well and he's beaten up multiple teachers and multiple staff members uh... so nobody could tell him that this child's only been aggressive with him so i'm saying to myself where is this all going I said, you know, Mr. Do- Dr. So-and-so, and so we will call him Dr. M. Dr. M, wh- what does this have to do with anything? And he says to me, well, you know, everybody's saying that, uh, that my son is only aggressive with me, and they've taken him out of my custody, and here's the reason why. He says, Mr. Joe, I've been self-medicating for a while. Now, this is a child psychologist, mind you. And uh, he tells me he's been self-medicating self-medic- for quite some time. He's been a drinker. drinking his entire life to try to get away from his problems and he then went on to tell me that back in December uh, I believe it was December 9th he started to explain an incident that took place with his 16 year old son he said his son had gotten extremely aggressive with him and his son has autism that's his primary diagnosis and this would not be the first time. In fact, Dr. M told me there were several times that he had to run away from him, lock the doors behind him, his son would hit his head, he would hit the doctor, he would try to bite him, he would scratch him, he would punch him, he would jump on him, and what he would do is he would clear the room, make sure that the kid couldn't hurt himself in any other way, and then he would escape and lock himself behind closed doors. Well, on this particular evening, Dr. M explained to me that his son became so aggressive and so violent with him that he pinned him down on the floor and he attacked him and bit him in the face exactly 48 times. Not only the face and the cheek but also in the ear which required immediate emergency plastic surgery. Now in addition to this Uh, On another occasion, he explained to me that his son has an IQ of, of 41. And for those of you who don't know, and by the way, when this incident took place, apparently the child who bit his father was able to call 911 because the father completely blacked out as per the injuries. And the child was able to call 911. And the father was picked up by a hospital, by an ambulance. And uh, what had happened was the son was actually hauled away in an ambul- uh, in a cop car because the police also came. and they put him in jail with a 41 IQ. And this young man stayed in a penitentiary somebody who cannot even verbally you know and that's what really you know verbally he could communicate a little bit he knew enough to call the police uh, really doesn't know much more it's kind of a robotic way that some children with autism will go about things they can learn community helpers and i guess sometimes when there's danger you could say that some of them will know to call nine one one I found it amazing that he was able to do that but I have my reasons as to what took place exactly well nevertheless this young man not only was hospitalized, hospitalized several times in on prior occasions which in my opinion does no good with children with autism at all okay uh, because what they do is they just medicate him for a few weeks they send them home and things are worse off than when they went in there but nevertheless in this particular instance they did not Put him in a hospital, they put him in a jail. So now this man has not only family charges, family court charges pending against him, and I'll tell you why in a second. Um, he has criminal charges that he's trying against his son, and I believe the ex-wife is accusing him, uh, I'm sorry, the ex-wife is accusing him of being the sole reason as to why this young man is aggressive because according to the ex-wife, well, according to the man, the ex-wife says that the man has always demeaned the ex-wife to such an extent that the son kind of followed in his footsteps, and any female that he would see, he would also go against as well. And because of this incident that took place when the father was shipped off to the hospital from being bit in the ear apparently when the father got there he had told me he had a few glasses of wine now although this young man was sent to a jail because the father had wine when he woke up child agency was there and they said well this happened in your care and you were drinking and the father said I only had three glasses of wine So. There were a whole lot of excuses, and what the moral of the story here is, this man was reaching out because this child agency said that in order for charges to get dropped and for him to even possibly get his son back out of foster care, though the child is no longer in a jail, um, he has to, uh, what he referred to as, jump through hoops and take some parent training and counseling courses. And I recommended that it's a one-on-one thing because I don't even think this man could sit in a class, to be honest with you. Anyway, uh, so I'm probably going to help him. Now, here's what I want everybody to know. What I figured out is that this man was not attacked, as far as I'm concerned. This man was passed out drunk on the floor. Now, again, I was not there so it's also not fair for me to say as a fact that this happened but I am speculating because I've been doing this for 27 years I could almost guarantee that his story just did not line up enough and this man was attacked and what the the child tried to do to wake him because he was passed out drunk was he bit him all over his face and I would not put that past a child slash adult with autism at the age of 16 who has an IQ of 41 it just makes sense so now the other thing was this initial phone call that i had made with this man he did a lot of blaming a lot of excuses and a lot of a lot of just not taking ownership of what needed what he needed to do in his life you know made a lot of excuses told me that he's only drinks three or four glasses of wine he never blacks out he never passes out you know said all these things without me even asking him which is usually indicative of that the truth is the exact opposite that you know he probably doesn't drink three or four any three or four glasses is probably you know two or three bottles we all know that so I had a lot of conversations with this man before I agreed to set him up with parent training and counseling. And one of the things I told him was he absolutely has to start owning what he is doing in life. I told him he's making a lot of excuses. And I told him that until he gets help with his alcohol, he needs to um, you know, take ownership and, and then, I, then I will help him. And he did tell me he's going to AA, and that was the extent of it. And I said, that's great, you know. He says he's been going for a while. He's been going for a couple of months now. And I said, that's great. I said, but that's not enough. And, you know, he got a little defensive with me as well. But I also then finally wrote him a very heartfelt email. And, you know, I told him to, once again, to take ownership and, you know basically everything I just said but I put it in writing and I gotta read you quickly the email that I got back from him because I wanted you to know that changes can be made and I am actually really proud of this guy so real quickly hi Mr. Joe I just saw this email for some reason it went to my junk folder but I have now added you to my safe contact list first thanks for your advice and support I really appreciate it regarding my alcohol counseling I was not mandated But I did that on my own, like you asked me to, and in fact, I also asked for random testing to help me in case of a moment of weakness. And via my sessions, about 12 days ago, I actually had an epiphany. I am not just a problematic drinker. Yes, I certainly have been self-medicating, but the way I use alcohol and run to it to escape anxiety and stress, well, I am an alcoholic. So I certainly will continue AA counseling with random screening and reaching out to other people in AA and my sponsor daily, as I have been doing for the past several months. I will be seeing my son for my bi-weekly visits on Sunday, in in, in parentheses, I miss him so much, then lunch with a good friend, and then a meeting. I am keeping busy. Today I see patients most of the day. I hope when I when you see this Monday, you and your family had a nice weekend. Thanks again for your support. Sincerely, Dr. M. I thought that was quite amazing. I really, really did, guys. I thought that was awesome. You want to talk about uh, a 360-degree turnaround and, and taking ownership, man. It's just amazing because the truth of the matter is I feel this man, upon our initial conversation, was in complete denial and that brings me to the topic of what I wanted to speak tonight about it, it, it's about bipolar disorder of course and being in denial and and, and uh, you know listen I know this I know that for a very 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 long time I was in denial I certainly was in denial there was a time in my life that uh, I I didn't know something was wrong I know. I knew. I knew. I had down periods, but I, you know, sometimes I would attribute them to, let's say, the weather, maybe stressful situations, and even to my own physical health. Sometimes I would do that. Uh, you know, and I and I talked about my my. Um, hypochondriac in my very first anxiety one oh one episode and there were times where I even thought maybe I felt tired because I had mono <laughs> things along those along that lines you know and you know I thought of my up times; they were just happy times and you know and, and that I was my normal self when I was those happy times and and I didn't consider them to be a problem you know what I'm saying I mean I really did and I figured I'm up I'm happy, and when I'm down, it's just, you know, it's something else. So I I was definitely in a lot of denial my entire life, and unfortunately with bipolar disorder, when you're not medicated, a lot of times that is what we are. We're in denial, and I tried to come up with some reasons, and I actually wrote them down, and I'll try to expand on them as well. And I don't do this a lot, Um, and I did it right before my... uh, I knew exactly what my topic was going to be tonight but i said let me take about five ten minutes here and i start jotting a few things down in my head and 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 again it's all personal experience it all comes from me so you could easily disagree with me and i could accept that and i respect that and um... if this is not you and i understand that but you know hear me out hear me out and and you know maybe maybe you can relate to this especially if you have somebody who you love with bipolar disorder a spouse a partner um a good friend or you know if you're just questioning whether or not you have bipolar disorder here are some of the reasons why i feel like we deny it first and foremost i know this i know that I never wanted to be labeled as crazy so to speak you know the term bipolar or the old term manic depressive so to speak man that could bring up or you know bring out some pretty frightening images you know it's in the in the classic form of of mental illness let's let's put it that way you know bipolar people hear that oh god mental illness and you know the way sometimes it's depicted in films and you know books we 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 hear about bipolar disorder and all of a sudden it uh... you know we think that we're crazy and i know this i know i didn't want to think of myself as even remotely in that way and that's the god's honest truth so some of the times what it's as simple as is we just don't want to be labeled as crazy And quite honestly there is a stigma attached to bipolar disorder and mental health today which really will add to that problem and one of the reasons why we don't want to be labeled as crazy but you know the the, the short of it is that you know it's not bipolar disorder it doesn't only come in black and white everybody it appears in shades of gray so to speak, and I don't know if that makes sense, but there are variations of bipolar disorder. You don't have to be a rapid cycler like me. You don't have to be in mixed episodes where you're crying and you're happy and you're cutting your arms and you're banging your heads. You know, there could be a milder form. Yet people still have a fear, even of the disorder, thinking about those mild forms, and there's a stigma, to you know, to to bipolar disorder. And it doesn't always exist with other psychiatric illnesses. You know, depression. My God, you turn on a commercial and everywhere you look, they got a commercial for depression. I don't see a whole lot for bipolar disorder. They're starting to come out with a few and a few more things about medication for bipolar, which leads me to my very next one, one of the reasons why we're in denial. Or why we reject the diagnosis. Let's say let's say it that way. One of the reasons we reject the diagnosis and why we don't want to believe that we are bipolar is because a lot of times we don't want to take psychiatric medication knowing that we have bipolar disorder no means that we have to take medication it means seeing a doctor it means being diagnosed with an illness and Many people just fear undergoing treatment. I know for a very long time, I used to dread going to the doctor. I never wanted to go. I I used to think about what crock of nonsense I was going to feed to my doctor to make sure that I fed him the right information so I would get what I needed, meaning... I was so unstable at times and I was abusing drugs and I I just never knew if I was right or wrong or up or down and I know all my information never led to the correct conversation that took place with my doctor um, and, and really ultimately led on him uh, a lot of times giving me the wrong doses and the wrong medication I mean I I blame them on it and yet blame them for some of it and yes I was definitely over medicated but how is anybody in their right mind who is abusing drugs, whether it just be marijuana or alone, how are you going to go into a doctor and be able to tell them really face-to-face what you need? And and, and for them to come back, if you're not being honest, okay, let's put it that way. Um, if you're not being honest, it's, you know, it's not... It's not a a good way to be with your doctor. And a lot of times, people with bipolar disorder, they just don't want to take their medication. You know, another thing that will lead us to deny the diagnosis is basically, I know I used to feel like this, I never wanted to have a a quote-unquote chronic illness that has no cure. You know, listen... I'm going to tell you right now bipolar disorder really does not have a cure that does not go with you know that goes without saying the unfortunate thing is it, it really doesn't have a cure it is a chronicle it is a chronic chronic illness you know and then some people are fortunate enough where like me from the year Well, I, I shouldn't even say this I I want to sit here and say from the year 2011 up until now I lived without um, you know mood disorders and that's just not true I didn't even know it was happening you know that's the problem when you're in it you don't even know what's going on but there are some people with bipolar disorder that are fortunate enough to have many many years maybe even decades without mood episodes and that's great but the truth of the matter is that it is an incurable disease it's never gonna go away the problem that we face is that because we don't want to take our medication sometimes is that's why it's not being helped and why it's not being cured so to speak because if you do not deny the diagnosis and you start to take medication and stop doing drugs to manage your mood disorder you will slowly start to realize that although there may not be any cure you can achieve stability for the most part and that doesn't mean it's going to go away all the time okay you're still going to have moments where um, you know the mood disorder is going to come out but if you're medicated properly you know they'll be like me they'll be very far and few in between and they will hopefully not be as intense and you know really what it comes down to is there's nothing really to be embarrassed about that's what it comes down to it, it's 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 really what it is it's nothing to be embarrassed to, about and it, and although it has no cure there is a way to become stable nobody really wants to be unsure of who or she he or of who of who they really are let's put it that way i know this i know i never wanted to be unsure of who i really am i used to i used to sit and say to myself well who am i You know, am I? Does like my emotions, the way I react, okay, when I'm up, when I'm down, does that originate from my personality? Is that who I am, or or is that part of the disease? It's it's almost like a way that you cannot even recognize your own identity and what is your true self. Well, I know this, guys. I know I'm pretty intelligent. I know I'm extremely compassionate towards people. I know I could be extremely creative. I know that I get ultra sensitive with my children, maybe a little bit too much. I believe that I'm a hard worker and I believe I'm pretty honest as well. So those are good things to be. Even though I have bipolar, there was a time though where I was in complete denial because I said to myself, I'm not even sure who I am. And that's a horrible, horrible way to be. So when you're in denial, here are some of the things that I know I used to say. And you've got to say to yourself, has this been something that you have said to yourself? And, and here's the big one. Here's the big one, guys. And I remember screaming this to my ex-wife. I remember screaming this to my mother. I remember screaming this to my father and I remember screaming this to my wife who I love right now there is nothing wrong with me okay how many times have we said there is nothing wrong with me I'm just emotional or I'm moody or it's my personality or I've always been this way okay that is an absolute sign of of somebody who is in denial just turn around and saying that there's nothing wrong with me and I said that for a very very long time you know and especially when you're doing drugs I mean my God your your brain is absolutely convoluted with thoughts that aren't real. Now I explained the other day that I have a co-worker who I've been helping out who has a bipolar friend. And I actually, I, uh, I, told, I think I've been telling you guys that I've been reading a book, and I, I brought the book up with me, and it's called When Someone You Love is Bipolar. And there is actually a little section in the book, and the name of the book is, uh, the, the author is actually somebody with a Ph.D. Her name is Cynthia Last. And the book is when, so- when Someone You Love is Bipolar, Help and Support for You and Your Partner. And it's a pretty good book, and they have a little section on denial in there. But what I did find was this interesting part, and it says when your partner tries to normalize the abnormal. So um, I I thought that fit into what I was saying. So now this is for somebody who is not necessarily bipolar but has a partner who is trying to say, you know, oh, I'm completely normal. Uh, You know, there's nothing wrong with me. What they ask you to do is what they say you to do is you want to communicate your partner's need for help when the mood is right. And that's good, because I told that to my coworker the other day. Chances are he or she will be more receptive to your message when calm or experiencing the emotional pain of depression. Makes sense. Avoid using words and expressions that are likely to inflame your mate, like abnormal, sick, mental illness, and even bipolar disorder. I will never forget a time when I was fighting with my ex-wife, and my father-in-law called, and he got me, he asked me to get on the phone, my ex-father-in-law, and he said, you know, Joe, you guys can't be fighting anymore, we, we need to come over there, and I think the kids should go with your mother, and, you know, maybe I can come over and talk to you and my daughter, and we could try to work this out, you know, we all know that you're sick. Well, wait a second, he, and I was calm up until that man said that, what do you mean I'm sick? I ain't effing sick, how dare you? Okay, so I remember that happening. So it's it's actually true. You know, when you're with your partner, you don't want to use those words. It also says look for opportunities to plant seeds. That is, point out specific situations where your partner overreacted or acted inappropriately, such as the day after an incident has occurred. I'll tell you this right now. For a very long time, I didn't realize anything. My wife can point stuff out to me now, and... If once I am out of my mood episode, I agree with her each and every time. Not 50%, not 75%, 100% of the time I look back on the way that I reacted and I can't believe what I had done. And if you're not seeing it yet, you really got to take a step back and realize that you are probably overreacting. The last one was repeat your message water the seeds periodically but don't do it so often that you end up alienating or antagonizing your mate and that's important too. you do you want to repeat it you don't want to just let it go okay that's common sense now one of the other things that i believe was a big part of my denial and something that i always said was it's not me it's everyone and everything else and that usually went along with my irritability to be honest with you you know it's very very common for people like Us, let's say to attribute their mood swings and you know their ups and their downs their depression their mania to situations or to other people mostly my irritability I would blame for how I for others for how I feel and you know I would never accept that the problem lies within me no way you know externalizing the blame forget it that would go hand in hand with normalizing the abnormal. Basically, uh, you know, I I could tell you uh, any time, uh, God, I'd be out. I'd be out at, I don't know, I'd be out in a restaurant of the waitress, you know, uh, out at a bank, Um, the the, the, uh, teller, you know, the line, the grocery store. I explained that the other day returning on a, on a clothing, you know, in the store, returning shirts or pants, you know, over-the-top anger where it's just, uh, you know, it's almost irrational. It's not, you know, there are times when not so much at work now, but I remember that I would sit and I would stew over the decisions that I would make. Because, again, everything, it was everybody else and not not me. So I would sit sit there and say, God, if only I didn't choose this career path or if I didn't take this stupid job, um, if I didn't live in this stupid house, you know, if I wasn't in this stupid marriage, I would be totally fine. I mean, how many times have we said this? We are blinded by it, guys. That is the problem. We're blinded by it and we don't see it you know and a lot of times guys what we do and it's it's very sad and my wife actually happens to be um... the one who takes the brunt of this a lot of times it's the loved ones unfortunately that will oftentimes, you know be the ones that are always at fault you know you made me get like this it's your fault how many times have i said this to my to my wife you know you're the reason why I'm a psychopath. <laughs> you know, it's not even cool. I mean, and this is, this is the type of stuff that when I was unmedicated, I had no idea that I was doing it. No idea. Um, you know, now the other thing that I realized is that one of the denial things, and I don't know, this may be something that nobody can relate to all right but one of the other things that I realized when I was in denial was I would say to myself it's not me it's where uh, and a lot of times I would say to my ex-wife it's where we're living Uh, you know it's I would always want to return to a place or a time before I was actually diagnosed or where I was well let's say You know, I don't know if that makes sense. It's almost like return to the setting from the past that will allow my old self, the old Mr. Joe, to reemerge. And it really, what it is, it's an escape fantasy that's based on denial, or at least to just minimize how sick you actually feel. Now, I don't know if that makes sense to anybody, but to me... I think a lot of the times that's why I would end up back at my parents house because I it took me so many years to recognize that I was sick even under their care but when I was under their care as a child I didn't recognize my illness so a lot of times I would move back there I'd fight with my ex-wife and I'd find my way back there now listen you can't go I can't go without saying that you know we obviously we didn't have a good marriage otherwise we wouldn't be divorced you know um so that goes without saying but I think the God's honest truth is because I was such a sick man I would blame everything on where I was at and what we do again when we're bipolar is we want to return to our roots if that makes any sense and that is a big big part of denial one of the other things that I used to do with my bipolar disorder, um, you know, not necessarily when I was unmedicated, but when I was medicated and I was abusing drugs, one of the things I used to say all the time is, the doctor, he's an idiot, <laughs> he doesn't know what he's talking about, you know, it's, it's they have no idea, and, and you know what, I find myself even in my podcast sometimes saying this, I, I, I sometimes remember me saying that that doctor didn't know. I mean, I, I even said about bipolar too. Now, listen, that's a little bit different because I do truly believe that I was misdiagnosed the first time that I was in that hospital. It was a set of different circumstances. But do you know how many times I've turned around and said, that doctor doesn't know what he's talking about or she's talking about? And I'd actually, I would actually say that they probably got there their education or their doctoral degree from a a, a bad college i would actually go as far as saying something along those lines that's how sick i was and it was all denial it was all denial uh you know how many times have i said that you know how does he know he doesn't live with it He doesn't know what's going on. He just knows how to write out a script. He just knows how to, um, you know, offer medication, I would turn around and say. (laughs) You know, so, uh, you know, it's it's part of the denial. It's part of the denial, and I just, unfortunately, I never, ever, ever, ever saw it. One of the other things that I used to do, and, and again, I don't suffer from a lot of depression. I really don't. It's usually mixed states, but according to my wife, Uh, there are times when I am so depressed that I don't even realize it. And, you know, now thinking back, that would be like one of my big common things that I would just say, especially to my ex-wife. I'd just be like, I'm just depressed. You know, that's it, I'm just down. Well, let me tell you something. There is a completely big difference between just being depressed and having bipolar disorder. It's a completely set of circumstances and medication regimen. So, no, it's not, I'm just depressed. It's, I have bipolar disorder. And if you're just running around telling people, "Ah, I'm just a little depressed, well, you're actually fooling yourself. And you're probably setting yourself up for an an inaccurate diagnosis and a wrong medication regimen and path. And it's actually really sad. And uh, the other thing I used to do just to help everybody out there who might feel like they know somebody who's in denial or if you feel like you're in denial, denial yourself, I would just turn around and be like, whatever, you know, like, whatever, this is not even a big deal. It's like, uh, it's like my attitude would be, I would minimize it. You know, I would be like, oh, you know, my ex-wife or my doctor is making a bigger deal out of this thing than it really is. It's just a doctor's way of saying that I'm moody. You know, it's no big deal. It's all bull crap. And, uh, yeah. oh, here's a big one. What person in this world doesn't have something wrong with them? I still say it. I still turn around and say it. You know, half the world is medicated. You know what? It's, it doesn't matter what half the world is. It's not about half the world. It's, you know, we all do that. We all minimize it to some extent, what we have. All right. But, you know, the, the problem is that when we minimize it, again, we are actually in denial. So these are some of the things I thought about, everybody. And, you know, it's, it's really what it comes down to is if you love somebody with bipolar disorder, most of the times when they're not medicated, it's, it's a, you feel like you're fighting a losing battle. You really do. You feel like you're fighting a losing battle and there's never an end in sight. Because most of the time and, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna speak for all of us, everybody, I have no choice. I have to speak for all of us. When we are bipolar and we are not medicated or we're not getting the right treatment, we don't realize it. We don't see our actions We don't see our words, we don't see our meanness, we don't see our irritability. Yeah, we feel our depression, we feel down, we feel sad, we cry, yeah, we get happy, we run around, we do drugs, we party, we stay up late, you know, we write poetry, we sing and we dance, we get hypersexual, you know, things of those nature. But, man, when we are in a weird state, man, we just don't see it. So I want you to listen to this podcast. Maybe give it to somebody that, um, maybe even if you if you if you have somebody that you love with bipolar disorder, maybe play this for them. You know, and see what they say. Maybe this will be a, a good way for you to get in to their brains, so to speak. Listen, I want to thank everybody for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. want to reach out please uh you can reach me on yahoo mr joe bp at yahoo.com or find me on twitter mr joe mr bipolar joe everybody have a great night thank you for listening